0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Blockhash Podcast, episode 378. Today, we have the CEO, Luca Ambrosini, to talk about uh, Rubicon Studio and the Web3 solutions that they are offering to their clients with an emphasis on tokenization and what that is going to mean for the world, what kind of applications can it be applied to, and how can it really transform assets into a digital age Luca, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here and very excited to dive into more details on what you're doing specifically in Switzerland and with Rubicon Studio. So how are you doing, man?
1: I'm doing very good. Thank you for your amazing Italian pronunciation. I appreciate
0: that. I hope that was okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know it was very good. And congratulations on going along for all those episodes. Sounds like a lot of work.
0: Yeah, it's uh <laughs> what almost five years in the making doing all these episodes, and we've done um at least for the last couple of years, we've done one nearly every single week. So um we we're definitely getting up there. Yeah, consistency pays off over time. Luca, tell me in the audience a bit more about yourself. I'm sure people will be very curious to know what your story is. How did you mm-hmm. wind up in Web3? And everyone has a different kind of path and story, no one yet has really grown up in web 3 unless you're you know just entering maybe middle school or something like that so um how did you start off what was you know your your ambitions originally how did that diverge into web 3.
1: i'd love to tell you a story about something uh, emotionally that brought me in but actually it was out of pure greed (laughs) because in 2013 i moved to switzerland i'm italian Mm -hmm. And I was looking to find a way basically to pay school tuition and to survive here. Switzerland is very expensive uh, and I didn't want to ask my parents for money. So I (laughs) went online and say how to make money online. And with a couple of friends, we started buying GPU to do at the end was Litecoin mining. We entered in September 2013. It was a pretty lucky period because in a few months, Bitcoin went from like 100 to 1000. Uh, So we started growing from one GPU to ten, then a hundred, then a thousand. We ended up getting a hydropower plant mm, and a few windmills. Mm, And basically we grew together with mining. Then at some point, uh, I would say that during the road, I fall in love with the Libertarian principle. And we are working on a mission to make every asset uh, investable by anyone. So at some point around 2019, we stopped working on mining because we are based in Europe. And doing mining here, it was very hard to scale because energy prices were going up to the roof mm-hmm. and in different jurisdictions, it were going down. And at the end, mining is, uh, is an energy game, So we were not able to compete anymore. We sold all the assets and most of us are engineers. So we jumped on the bandwagon of software. And since 2019, we have just writing software in the Web3 space, launching startups and helping other clients to integrate blockchain into their stuff, mainly regarding tokenization.
0: Interesting. So you got your start as a miner, primarily in, <laughs> in Litecoin. What was that experience like? Because um, that was one of my first entryways into crypto too. And it's fascinating to learn about the tokenomics side of crypto and how you know the mining industry really does have a major impact mm-hmm. on not just price, but the the actual supply as well as the demand and um, how it protects the network and the protocols, the different protocols, whether it's proof of stake or proof of work or whatever it may be. It's very fascinating to understand some of the algorithms.
1: Yeah, especially at the beginning, around 2013, proof of stake was not really around. Uh, so every coin was trying to iterate on proof of work. So we had like 200 different algorithms. And we were buying, we were having Chinese company manufacture ASICs to try to be more uh, efficient than the other miners. Then working on CUDA code for GPUs to try to squeeze out the last bit of performance. Because at the end it's an efficiency game. And it was a lot related to software. Mm, So it was quite Mm -hmm. fun. And also there was like a new proof of work coin coming out every day uh, on Bitcoin talk. The the old forum when everything started. Uh, So we spent a lot of time being there. Because if you manage to mine the coin in the first few seconds after the Genesis block, sometimes you ended up with like 0.5% of the token supply. Mm-hmm. Because at the beginning, the percentages were crazy. It was, it was really a matter of being the fastest to try to mine a coin. Because as you mentioned, tokenomics is fundamental. Sometimes people uh, fuck that up and they mm-hmm. give too much value at the beginning. And we were trying to, to be there to take kind an of advantage out of their own let's say lack of knowledge in economics.
0: Yeah, one of the coolest things that I learned when I was doing mining for the first time was that when you have a mining machine, it's not designed for one specific cryptocurrency. Like even Bitcoin, they're actually designed for a specific algorithm like SHA-256 or mm-hmm. e- Ethash or, you know, one of the other miscellaneous ones that are out there. There's a whole bunch, but there's numerous different coins on a single algorithm. So depending on the efficiency and the price of any given coin on any given day, I could automatically switch from one to the other to try and maximize profitability. So that was always a fun game that we were playing. <laughs> We'd come in every couple of days and look and see, okay, how's Ethereum performing versus Ethereum Classic versus um, Horizon or Zencash at the time versus... Litecoin and, and then Bitcoin. Oh, money memories. Yeah. And it was uh it was really cool kind of you know swapping back and forth. And this was before there was any kind of like regulation around it. Like I was getting mm-hmm. letters from the bank thinking that I was running a money transmitter service, like I was like an ATM or a bank or something, and I had to send them letters explaining what proof of work mining was, <laughs> which was really difficult to do in a letter. <laughs> um but they had froze my bank accounts for a little while and until I had to explain to them. Then they unfroze them after I sent this long letter into like New York. And um, I don't know. That was a different time. Now it's it's regulations are completely different. Um, sometimes there's too many regulations. But that's part of the reason why you went to Switzerland, right? Because there's more opportunity to kind of experiment and try new things in crypto there. It's not as harsh.
1: Yeah exactly like when we started like, we had the same situation that you just described like we literally went to the bank to tell do you see this shoebox this is producing money we plug in energy we get out money and it was mm-hmm. quite hard for them to, to understand like they they thought we were lying like we were doing some yeah. shady stuff then they understood uh, but i i would say that Switzerland is one of the easiest places if you want to start the crypto business uh, for example most of the things that we do in our company they're based on um, what is called a DLT act in which they basically say that you can transfer ownership of stuff in a legally valid way with a token. Uh, so if I have a token which represents a watch, I can go to a Swiss judge and say, I have the token, give me the watch. Mm, which may sound a little bit silly, but this enables a lot of stuff and it's completely regulated in every jurisdiction in Switzerland. And we can do that with... uh, Let me make you a a few examples to be more concrete. Any mobile object, uh, like watch, uh, whiskey, wine, art, precious stuff, um, but also shares of a company, debt, bond, um, any financial instrument can become a token uh, and it's completely legal. And to do that, if it is a security, so like a financial stuff, usually a very easy way to understand if it's a security is does it give you money periodically if the answer is yes that's a security and in that case you have financial regulation uh, you you need a lawyer uh, or something like us to help you but if it's not uh, something that gives you money not a security literally is like one piece of contract and we can give you a free template happy to send it to you in which you transform a physical object into a token on any public blockchain And what I love is that Switzerland, in the regulation, they clearly said you have to use a public blockchain. So if you use a private one, which I personally hate, Mm -hmm. uh, you are not allowed to tokenize anything in Switzerland. Because the point of using a blockchain is to make it transparent for everyone. Like anyone, including the government, should be able to verify the blockchain basically and check who has the token, so who has the rights to own something and no one should it should be tamper proof like it cannot be mm, modified mm. yeah and this is achieved easily on a public blockchain so basically they tell you you can use ethereum this is what they use an example in the legislation mm, to transfer everything that you want
0: that and makes also sense
1: you are pretty are pretty favorable i would say uh, regarding crypto businesses so you can open up a bank account and also we have banks that custody crypto so it's quite a nice place if you want to to start a crypto business, especially in the organization space.
0: Yeah, that seems to make a lot of sense in wanting to do that on a public blockchain, maintain that sense of transparency. And, you know, it, it kind of bat- backs against, you know, any kind of criminal element to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the right approach. But w- what are some of the possible, you know, real world applications of doing this? I mean, obviously, there's probably a million Um, You know, being able to take a token and represent ownership of literally anything physical in this world, Um, being able to take something and create a digital version of it or make it digital, make it more transferable, uh, make it easier to put or verify maybe on a secondary marketplace. Like there's all different kinds of things you can do in the U.S. fractional ownership of things like real estate or high luxury goods are also another thing people are exploring very commonly Um, as well as over private-based equity and all these things. But what are some things like in Switzerland that you guys are experimenting with the most that you think, you know, around tokenization might be the most unique or the most helpful to people?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, A very simple one we've done is watches. Uh, And to me, they are under the democratization umbrella. Mm, So I probably would not spend 100,000 on a Patek Philippe watch. But usually if you want to, buy a watch for investment purposes you should really buy a top one percent watch usually out of production like it has to have many characteristics to be a store of value but usually they are also priced very high so you you may not want to to buy a whole watch like usually they say that alternative investment should be five percent of a portfolio so if you have to spend uh, fifty thousand, you should get uh, like um, a 2.5 million uh, portfolio if you don't have it maybe it's better to buy just a fraction and what we we transform one single watch in thousands of tokens so like you can buy like one percent mm-hmm. and speculate on it or transfer on the secondary market so it becomes very very liquid uh, this one is online running you can check it out at elephantclub.io if you want you to, to test it and I think that the ticket is 250 euros around 300 dollars uh, to start in um, and there is a secondary market running This was the simplest because you don't need any license at all. Mm. Then a second category we've tackled uh, is commodities. Mm. Like, let's say coffee. Coffee is usually traded around the world and usually it starts from South America. Mm -hmm. Mm. It gets harvested, then it goes on a a ship. It can come to Europe or to North America, but uh, it takes weeks. during that time, they change hands so many times. A lot of traders are exchanging paper contracts because they want to buy, they want to sell. They're traders, like, they don't trade stocks, but they trade coffee. And there's a lot of them. Like, mm-hmm. it's a multi dollar, multi hundred billion market, probably. Mm. And also, when the coffee reaches land, they start to be parceled, like in smaller amounts, and then to go around. We transform each ton into a token and then it is able to be traded you get two things out of that the very first one which comes to hand is traceability so when you buy a token you have attached to it a lot of information where it is coming from and like in the blockchain you have the principle shit in shit out so everyone can lie on the blockchain but since the information is inserted by many parties along the road it is very hard for them to lie in a coherent way so basically, mm-hmm. you don't have certainty, you never have certainty, but you have a very high degree um, of trustworthiness. And also, everything is completely standardized. So you don't have 200 parties with 100, 198 different contracts trading between them. They just exchange token. And the transaction cost goes from thousands of euros of dollars to like $1. So it really is a game changer for commodities and the last one um which is one of the, the funniest one we are working on is we are tokenizing royalties of music so every time you play a, a song on Spotify someone is getting something like 0.2 cents uh, that then gets split between the label and the artist that produced it um, we created a platform it's called notable um, in which you can buy a token which represents a part of a song So every time someone plays a song that you bought the token of, you Mm -hmm. receive in USDC a tiny amount of money. Right now, blockchain are still a little bit expensive. So we send the money once a month, but we are aiming to go to like once a day in a few months, if we manage to scale it up. (laughs) So the idea is that you, like, if you have your favorite artist, you can just go there. Uh, buy the songs and You speculate on the future of the artist basically you say uh, this one is gonna go big uh, I was there since the beginning now you have a time to put your your money where your mouth is and mm-hmm. try to support your friend and, and to try to if it's the next Rihanna, probably you will be settled as well
0: Do you think those could be different ways to help maybe like an artist get funding When they're young and they don't have the cash, but they have the talent, like instead of having to go to one of these large record labels and get locked into a contract, maybe there's more ways for an artist to go independent and to have more control over their IP and their creations, while also being able to allow the public to fund their, their ambitions. Like I could see some really cool crowdfunding uh, use cases there.
1: I 100% agree there. Because I think that um, I mean, the label provides you some services, but but mainly they provide you capital in a coordinated fashion. If right now I have to find 200 friends and to pull together some money to buy my specific song, that becomes a legal might, nightmare in no time. Like every month I receive the money, I have to give it to them. Mm, I'm not making music anymore. I'm being an accountant. So what you're trying to do with the software is to make it so simple that the um, the musician can focus on the music, but it's very easy to group together uh, your uh, basically your audience and to be to be independent. And we see two big use cases of people that are interesting to this. Um, one is the independent artist. They say that this is a dream because finally they can try to produce the music by themselves, um, and they can sell things in advance, like also the tickets. Mm -hmm. they can be founded by the future uh, audience of their own music Mm. and the second big big audience is huge artists because at some point they are fat enough that they have the the feeling of wanting to give back so they they are trying to give some of their royalties to their fans Mm -hmm. and to like in some way, try to give back to the people that supported them and made possible for them uh, to become huge artists and also usually financially
0: wealthy. Funny, you brought up the coffee example as well because I live in Colombia and this is like the coffee capital here, um, mm-hmm. not in in certain parts of Colombia. And I've gotten a little bit familiar with the process of coffee and you know what that distribution line kind of looks like. How does it go from the farms Costco in the U.S. right? how do they source Colombian coffee? And it's amazing how many steps are in between and how screwed the actual farmer gets because the farmer is selling it for, you know, pennies on the dollar. And by the time it goes through 10 different intermediary steps, the price of the coffee continuously goes up and up and up by the time it gets to, um, you know, Costco, they're selling it for a small fortune per bag yeah. or poor kilo of coffee. And, Unfortunately, it's not fair to the farmer because there's so many things in between that could be eliminated using blockchain, using things like tokenization, um, allowing for different methods to track the coffee, to put it through a refining process, um, to verify it on chain. You know, there's it's very interesting when you look at some of these industries, not just coffee, but anything that's similar to it, even in food like farm to table or seed to plate. Um, you start to realize there's so many inefficiencies and in ways that you could plug in blockchain, even a public ledger. Um, and you could apply something like tokenization to actually fix the issue and allow the farmer to actually make more money and still provide a higher level of transparency, visibility, traceability, all these things.
1: Because most of the people in the supply chain, if you look into what they are really doing, it's just being trustworthy. They are paying for the brand to put two people in contact because you know that you're buying from that guy, which knows that guy that knows that guy. And it's all a chain of trust. Mm, And I think that blockchain sucks at a lot of things, but building trust between two entities, which don't know each other. This is very good, very good. Uh, Trying to move a whole process on a chain that's high. Mm, We did that also with the United Nations for the tracking of cotton. In a supply chain, Uh, let me say that that, that's a mess because not everyone wants you to see everything. Like transparency Mm -hmm. is a very good word, uh, also dangerous one sometimes. Like you don't really want to show everything. And luckily, I think that the the blockchain, if you want to do transparency for the sake of transparency washing, the blockchain is a very bad instrument. Because if you lie there, people will be able to see it forever. It's a permanent lie. Uh, if you lie. really want transparency, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like Verba Volans Crypto but it's like on the blockchain. It will be there forever. Um, so sometimes they don't want to use it. Uh, but when they do, I think that there is a very high certainty and guarantees for the people around it. And uh, also, uh, I don't think that... When we, when we try to sell uh, tokenization to people, we usually don't push it on transparency because that's kind of a um, mixed feeling situation, mm-hmm. but we push on efficiency. Because when you make it standardized, it is cheaper to trade, cheaper to transfer. And you go from a lot of paper to nothing on a platform. So the cost reduced by an order of magnitude. And I think that is the bigger thing. Like company make more money because they reduce costs. And usually, since the cost becomes very low, people can invest in it and make money out of good businesses.
0: When you're working on these different things with tokens, are NFTs, you know, one of those tokens that are kind of present in that thought process as well? Um, Because it's interesting how broadly applicable NFTs can be across different industries and how many problems they can help solve, but they've only been used for jpegs and funny pictures of cats and and you know silly trading cards and digital collectibles with really no value and it's kind of unfortunate because the technology behind it is very fascinating to me and what it could be used for so i'm curious if you guys have played around with maybe some different use cases with nfts and maybe where you think that could go you know when nft 2.0 eventually happens Maybe what that could look like.
1: We work with both fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens. So uh, in the standard case, like when I mentioned to you the, the shares of the song, mm-hmm. each share uh, is not unique. Like They are completely exchangeable with one another. Mm-hmm. So in that case, we use normal tokens like ERC20 for technical guys listening. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But for example, in the commodity case I just mentioned, everything there is an NFT. Yeah. What we do in practice is that we, we put the coffee in things which are called big bags it's like one pallet one square meter cubic meter Mm -hmm. and we attach a qr code on top which is a unique identifier of that coffee there and we create an nft which is the digital twin of that cubic meter of coffee and it goes sent around and this is very important because we need to be able to attach information to that specific big bag, and information information cannot be attached to a normal token, but to an NFT, you can. Because like every border ape, even though it's just a a photo of a monkey, it's unique. So if it is unique, you can say, okay, this one is that uh, landed in that place. It won't be transferred to this one. Like you have the complete history of each single item, which is exactly what we want when we want to push uh, traceability or physical uh, items. So I think that NFTs will become pretty uh, useful there mm. and I, i'm a fan of this use case i would say i'm not a big monkey holder at the moment so <laughs> i prefer this nft 2.0 yeah
0: i'm i used to have quite a lot of nfts but i had a hard time buying ones that i couldn't justify like a board ape for example um i'm very happy that they built a successful brand around it and that they're making money in multiple different ways. I think that's the direction you have to, you have to take it. Um, but unfortunately there's a lot of projects that have chased what board ape has tried to do and they failed because they just can't, you know, get to that reality where they can make money through, um, you know, brand partnerships with M and Snoop Dogg and, you know, have celebrities like Justin Bieber buying your NFTs and it's, you know, that's like the peak of the hype cycle there for an NFT collection. And they got very lucky and they timed it very well. And I think they had connections. Mm-hmm. Um, I think
1: they were <clears throat> very, very good because building a brand out of thin air really is a challenge. For everyone mm-hmm. that tried to launch a podcast or a startup, you, you know not easy. hard it is to people following you. Uh, and they managed to sell. Uh, at the end, it's just a piece uh, of um, feeling of belonging to something else. Um, for hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you're expressing your desire to belong to something in a financial way. So your desire is crazy good. And I'm I'm a big um, fan of what they've been able to do. Um, I just think that it is very uh, dangerous uh, because sometimes people reach out to us Mm -hmm. and they say, oh, these guys with the monkeys, they they raise hundreds of millions. I have real physical art. So I'm gonna make billions, uh, create my NFTs. And i think this is a kind of a, a false myth uh, it's not not yeah. so easy they, they, they did a great job
0: yeah and in, in art in nfts is again something people i think misunderstand because the nfts pretty much represent the artwork i mean because they're also selling the physical artwork aside from it and and for an artist art is all subjective you know if the wrong person walks into an art gallery and wants to buy a painting for $100, then you set the base price of that painting for $100 if no one else is bidding. But if the right person walks in and they see your painting and your painting is just a little giraffe with a tree next to it and it's like nothing special, but they think that it's insightful and meaningful to them and they want to pay you a million dollars for it, well then shit, then your giraffe is worth a million dollars. <laughs> so, you know, art is not one of those industries where you can go to an expert and they can appraise it and say, Oh, this is going to be worth thousands, millions of dollars. Maybe it will sell for a billion one day. Um, it it's, it's unfortunately not a stable economized market. So with, when you couple that with NFTs, you know, it's, you know, complete wild west. You don't know what's going to happen. You know, you have to really build some kind of credence around you as an artist, Mm -hmm. build up a reputation and a portfolio and you have to get into media and you have to get well known. And it's just not a good business model unless that's all you want to do in your life. And I know some successful Mm -hmm. artists. (laughs) I do. And I know some successful artists have successfully transitioned to NFTs, Um, but they're very rare occurrences, it, an ordinary person doesn't just do it and then make tons of money. Now, if you're applying something with real value to it, it could be real digital value too, like the metaverses uh, that were coming out over the last like six or seven years that were like blockchain focused, like a uh, Decentraland, crypto voxels. Um, you know, there, there were tons of them, Somnium space, and you could buy like actual land represented by an NFT now that's an interesting use case where you can actually mm-hmm. obtain something that could have some value, and that can back yeah. the NFT and make it more worthwhile for people to own. So, you know, when the first wave of NFTs came around, there's a lot of mixed. It was a mixed bag of all these different things, and some of these things really did not make any sense. And then there were some things that were just premature, but they did make sense. Um, and that's why I'm very excited to see where NFTs go in the future because I think with what you guys are working with tokenization and And people learning that you can apply it to actual things of value or assets in the real world, and the virtual world, will maybe make it a much stronger industry than it started out as.
1: I think so, too. And I love the example you brought up about uh, digital items, pure digital items. Mm, I basically grew up inside World of Warcraft. (laughs) I think I spent like seven years in there. Uh, And I think that I felt kind of... Emotional attachment to some of the items you had inside the game, like when you spend one month trying to get on a raid to get a, the the loot you wanted and you actually get it, the emotion is so strong because you really wanted that specific item. Uh, it may sound silly for non gamers, but usually gamers can relate to that, like to all the effort you put in. Uh, and I think that being able to to really own that item, uh, take it outside of the game, sell it to someone else. Um, Enable people to build another mini game uh, based on some item you had there. I think it, it spawns a new uh, wave potentially of creativity, and I I don't know what to build there, but mm-hmm. I I hope one day to be able to launch a startup uh, at the intersection of modding games um, and tokenization, because I think that trying to bootstrap a new mechanism to leverage someone else's IP. To build a game of yours, I think there is something strong there.
0: Yeah. what What do you think about tokenization within the gaming space?
1: I think that games that have a very open ecosystem may benefit from it. Like if you take as an example like Skyrim, that game uh, was built since the beginning to be able to be modded by other people. Uh, So if you have like one item, one realm, allow me to say, being able to port it somewhere else i think that's as real value because the item kind of has value inherently outside of the game itself or like outside of one server mm. so when the item at the chance to have a life outside i think it is very very good uh, while i think it's harder for very close games mm, like if you want to tokenize the currency that you have inside angry birds I would be pretty, pretty bearish uh, on it um, because I think that it's hard to I mean, it doesn't really make sense to me, at least like I'm not thinking through the example, but like in a very silly way, I don't see how to use the Angry Birds currency outside. So I don't want to have it uh, outside of the game. But for a game that is lasting 10 years, everyone is building on it. People are still spending so much of their free time trying to build content for the others. In that case, I think that tokenization is a must because it's the way to transfer object outside the game. And when I say outside, I mean two things. One is like outside physically, like from one server to the other, but also outside in the realm of time. Like the game is not supported anymore.
0: Mm-hmm. You don't
1: have official servers anymore, but since the database of the items of all the players, it's outside, the community can bootstrap a new world and build all the existing uh, user base which to me sounds very exciting
0: yeah as the gaming industry just continues to get bigger um, you know there's more of a demand for people to want to keep what they're building or what they find and especially for large AAA games whether it's Call of Duty and Battlefield or it's Halo or Skyrim or Starfield or you know I think these games are getting more expansive and they're getting bigger and they're getting more auto-generated. They're becoming more random. There's more things that are rare, ships and weapons and items and, and your character as well and all the hours and money that you spend into building like your own character in a game. It's kind of sad when it doesn't transfer over to anything else. But we live in an age where that can be possible, especially with something like blockchain and being able to tokenize it. And I think this is another area where NFTs can come in and be very helpful um, by elevating the gaming industry and allowing people to have an actual identity that's digital in the gaming world that they can carry over to other other versions of the same game or even a different game or to online games. Um, And I think that would be another fantastic use case of putting value behind an NFT and something that could be tradable. Like maybe you build something awesome and you spend thousands of dollars on it and maybe you want to sell it. Maybe you're a professional gamer and all you do is build characters and you build um, certain items or you collect things and then you sell them eventually. Um, It opens up ideas for marketplaces as well as, you know, allowing people to enter a game at better levels or have better items or instead of trying to have to find things over time. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of really good dynamics within the gaming industry to inject an NFT.
1: I think they are underexplored at the moment. Uh, I suppose a couple of years ago, uh, someone get burned trying to launch NFT. Uh, like I don't remember the game from Ubisoft uh, that tried to launch NFTs and basically the community roasted them in two days and they have to take the feature out. But I think everyone is kind of on the fence looking at it. But uh, what I can tell you is that we we receive inquiries mm, every week from companies, usually in the fashion industry mm-hmm. that want somehow to do marketing inside games uh, because they are fascinated by games. All those companies, they want to talk with the gamers because I see that there are three billions, everyone is spending more time looking at, at a screen than looking at other people in the eyes so that they need to be there. And I think that being able to have a an outside object, like I don't know, I buy my last Louis Vuitton shoes mm, mm-hmm. and I somehow get a benefit inside the game that is linked to the P of Louis Vuitton. Mm, I think that's going to happen one way or the other. Uh, I think that right now the only good example is kind of Fortnite.
0: Yeah, we've seen mm-hmm. some examples of that in Fortnite. Mm-hmm.
1: But in a very basic way, like you you get a sweater and you wear it outside and also inside Fortnite. That's like the, the basic stuff that everyone is thinking about. But I think that there is room to explore way deeper mechanics inside the game um, because people love to spend time there mm-hmm. and they have deep connection with the brand they buy. Um, I think that someone will make a billion uh, finding the intersection to make fashion companies being able to leverage games. And NFTs could be one of the, um, the keys there. Uh, we are working on something with a couple of companies and we hope that a billion will come out of it. But anyway, we're going to try.
0: Yeah, I'm under the impression that very soon we're going to have real working metaverses. What, whatever that ends up kind of looking like, <clears throat> whether it's decentralized or owned by a company like Meta or, or whatever, I do think most people on earth will have a second life virtually. And I think that'll make a massive virtual economy where people can actually work and have real jobs and have a life and can do things virtually that they could never do in real life. And I think most people will live a life that's kind of plugged in. If That sounds kind of sad in some ways, but I do think it's going to be a reality because most people enjoy escaping reality. Um, so I think it's a matter of time before there needs to be a use case for NFTs to bring in assets like fashion or things from the real world into a virtual one, as well as tokenizing to bring back to the real world. So I think it's going to happen inevitably. It's just kind of, how does it start and what does it kind of look like, you know, from first glance through development
1: uh, or watched ready player one. Yeah. (laughs) I think that they had an amazing plot about what's what's going to happen. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast by Lex Friedman when he's interviewing Mark Zuckerberg Mm -hmm. and they try out the new uh, version of the the quest.
0: Yeah. I watched that one too. The
1: model and like, usually Lex is kind of, um, is very uh, non-emotional. But for the first 15 minutes, he sounds like a kid. He's truly happy and amazed by being inside a 3D space that feels real. And uh, I've seen it on a two D screen, like the the video version of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm. But it doesn't give you any emotional. Uh, but, but from what I, I hear from his word, probably we are not that far. My bet would be less than five years. I don't know. Do you want to make a bet?
0: I, I think it'll <laughs> be. Well, I think it's already here. It's just the problem is it's not feasible enough for commercialization. Uh, that, that was originally Meta's problem. They built this nearly you know, 10 years ago. You know, it's existed for a while. I remember when Oculus Rift first came out, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, they could do everything without cords. Before they had the camera systems and all this stuff, and you had to have a PC to use it. Um, it it's not like any of this stuff hasn't existed for a while. The problem is the price point. It's too expensive to build something that's this good while also making it easy for a consumer to go buy. Um, th- that's why Apple's Vision Pro is cool as it looks and everything. It's still like $3,500 to buy. The average consumer you know, struggles to buy a TV and there's inflation right now. Like That's yeah. not something they can go get. Um, unfortunately, it's going to be targeted to people that have either a higher income or they're in business or they're... In the corporate world or you know maybe there's different functions for it um but it's not something easy to acquire like th- most gaming setups don't even result in being half that cost um so th- the technology's here and it'll become mainstream once the pricing becomes more feasible like it's got to be worth a couple hundred dollars it's got to be like three four five hundred dollars and there's got to be some entryway for people to get in um and that might take another 10 years. Who knows? Um, you know, the technology is advancing very rapidly. I think we're, in a lot of ways, we're approaching this idea of the singularity and it's, it feels eerily close. But economically, things have to be priced in right. So commercially, it's just not, it's not happening yet. So I give it at least another you know, 10 years probably before it's as accessible as a Game Boy you know, as accessible as getting an Xbox or a PlayStation and being able to participate. People just can't participate.
1: I fully agree on the consumer point. I'm just probably more optimistic, but that's, I'm usually optimistic about stuff. So
0: <laughs> I'm optimistic too. Um, I, I, but I have to be pragmatic when it comes to, you know, when and, and how it's going to get to market because there's a monetary side to it as well. And, mm-hmm. But the technology is here. You know, we could all feasibly live in the metaverse today, but I mean, no one can afford the headset. <laughs> so we have to find ways to make it more, you know, inclusive for people to be able to join and do those things so that we can start to build those economies. So it might take a little bit more time, but we're really close. It could be five years. You could be right.
1: I will give back, get back to you in five years and I hope to be right. Uh-
0: <laughs> we'll find out for sure. Um. <laughs> So with Rubicon Studio, what, what other things are you guys working on in terms of services for clients? Is it mostly focused around tokenization or do you guys also do some other things?
1: We also create tokens, standard tokens for people like utility, payment, all that stuff. Uh, sometimes we, we handle the tokenomics and the custody for the tokens. Um, here in the area, we're usually the guy that uh, always get a call when some tokens get hacked to try to recover something that, that happened because sometimes people like kind of uh, underestimate the need for security on the blockchain. You don't mm-hmm. see how that it's a very rough space. Um, but mainly we focus on tokenization. We are trying to do not so many things and going uh, on with the years we're trying to reduce the scope of things we are doing. And right now we are very focused on tokenization. Um, and the two uh, reasons which I think people should tokenize things for Uh, One is if they want to make an investment more approachable by people. This is what we have done with the watches or with the music. Because instead of investing 1 million in one artist, you can invest $5 in an artist. And the second thing is process process efficiency. Uh, So if you have a business which is doing tons of transactions, maybe there's a way to make them more efficient using a blockchain and more, more transparent. And we are tackling all the use cases we can uh giving those two primitives of benefit we can bring to our clients
0: very nice how long have you had rubicon studios for
1: 2019 after we sold everything in mining okay when we started uh the software business
0: very cool and what's next for you guys like do you have any plans to expand and to grow or offer new services um like what do you guys want to do here in 2024 and beyond
1: if we get a financial approval uh we are going to start a real estate tokenization project. Mm, Our goal would be to not just real estate, but actually to offer people a very, very easy way to beat inflation that you mentioned before. Like, I I think that people should have like a savings account with no risks that kind of automatically beats inflation. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to build that in a tokenized fashion. Mm, As you can imagine, it has legal challenges uh because states usually they don't want you to release a new currency that automatically beats their own inflation so we are uh, getting very good legal mm-hmm. to to make everything very very clear uh, because i we think that the, the time for pirates in the crypto space is over regulation is here so we have to package everything perfectly so if we we manage to to get that done uh, i hope to get back in six months or so on the podcast and the idea is to enable everyone to, to beat inflation uh, without uh, onboarding volatility, basically a savings account for everyone.
0: Yeah, that's very fascinating. Are you going to partner with a bank to do that? Or are you going to do like a decentralized banking thing? Or what is that going to kind of look like?
1: We are going to have a partner bank uh, because some of the assets we want to use as collateral, mm-hmm. um, they are going to be physical assets and also investment products. So you need a, a regulated bank to custody the assets for you Okay. Mm, and part of that would also be crypto. So it's going to be decentralized and we will make everything accessible in a decentralized fashion because I think that to, you should not be required to have a KYC and a bank account to, to beat inflation. Uh, to me, the end goal of tokenization is, as I told you probably at the beginning, to enable everyone to invest in anything. Mm. So the goal is to have these products available on the shelf of a decentralized exchange so that anyone in a click with a credit card or with some cryptocurrency can join and beat inflation as simple as that.
0: Would you have to, is it something that's exclusively that would be available to people that live in Switzerland or could anyone feasibly globally set up an account, not US? (laughs)
1: Like, like everyone else, it is allowed to anyone outside US. Ah oh,
0: man, okay.
1: <laughs> but you are in Colombia, so you're fine, probably.
0: I'm in Colombia, but I don't have my Colombian citizenship yet, so I don't know okay. if that would, I don't know if that would count. Unfortunately, I, I have my American citizenship. <laughs> or what about a company? Could you have like a Swiss company that could have like a Swiss savings account or something like that?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to release it from multiple jurisdiction, mm-hmm. one of which is going to be Switzerland. Uh, but we are going to need more than one company in more than one place. Uh, also, because of European regulation, uh, you need to have basically one company in each Europe, uh, European state. Mm. The only thing is that we, right now, the SEC um, position on crypto assets is quite vague. Mm-hmm. So, we don't want to have issues with SEC. And until the situation clarifies, we prefer to say outside of the US market.
0: Yeah, that, that makes there is sense. a very high
1: risk there, like a high risk and the opportunity. Like American people have a lot of money and you, you are a lot. Uh, but, I, but here in Switzerland, one very good thing is that we, we literally write a mail to FINMA, which is the financial regulation authority. And they answer you and they tell you, you can do that or you cannot do that. Uh, and if they tell me, no, I try to uh, find a different way to do it. Like I propose it to them. Like I mean, if I adapt this, does it work? Mm, and after a few months, you know what you can do. Uh, and this allowed me as an entrepreneur to be in the position to take a risk, like market risk, because maybe no one wants to beat inflation. Yeah. But at, at least on a regulatory point of view, mm, I, I'm clear. Uh, while to my knowledge in the US to have this dialogue is a little bit harder. Mm, yeah. So as, at the moment, <laughs> we are staying outside.
0: Yeah, I don't know why everywhere else in the world, it seems to be much easier. And in the US, when you reach out to an agency like the SEC, and you try to get clarity on something, they don't tell you anything. If they do tell you anything, they give you ambiguous answers that aren't clear. And then they turn around and sue you. <laughs> it's it, it's like, well, you're asking for help. And then someone comes over and beats you in the head with a club. It's, like that's American regulation. It doesn't make any sense. So I yeah, I wouldn't want to touch anything in the U.S. or have U.S. clients at this point in time, at least until certain things change maybe over the next couple of years. It's very frustrating. I mean, I'm
1: not the best expert, but if there is maybe someone in the audience that is ready to take the challenge of bringing such a product to the U.S., more than I have you to, to jump on a call and try to understand. To me, it's just that I don't, I perceive a very high risk Mm, So it doesn't challenge my risk appetite and I pretend to stay outside, but maybe I'm just overestimating it. That's
0: pretty cool. We might know some people that could potentially help with that and maybe create a more clear path doing it with us citizens at some point, but we can explore that at the time, maybe when you're ready. Um, But where can people go to check out Rubicon studio? Where can people go to find you online? If they want to get in contact or have a conversation, where would you direct them?
1: There is a website which is called rubiconstudio.ch where you can see some of the case studies we worked on. And there is a contact form there. Uh, well, if you want to know more things about me or send, just send me a DM, uh, I am this is Ambros, A M B R O S, uh, on Twitter. And I, I try to reply
0: to all the DMs. Uh, Luca, this has been a, a really good episode. I think we covered a lot, especially in regards to tokenization. And, and NFTs, and I think that it'll be very insightful for a lot of people to get a better understanding of how you can apply this stuff to real life. What some of those use cases will be like, um, some of the things that you've been working on, as well as you know maybe what this is going to look like in a couple years, and five years, and ten years. Um, I think that's you know very valuable to a lot of people. So thank you for taking the time to come on and to share um, the, the knowledge that you have on this, and you know. What, what you think this is going to shape up in, in web three. And I'm very excited for it. I do think tokenization is probably going to be the biggest driver of this entire industry going into the near future. And I think a lot of asset managers know the same thing. That's why they're getting into crypto as well and spending so much money and creating ETFs and all this crap. Um, and they, they very publicly say it all the time, you know, tokenization is the future. We want to get into tokenization and, um, so, I think it's going to be a very interesting future ahead. So, thank you for sharing. Been great. This is awesome.
1: This was fun. So, thank you so much for the invitation. I hope to speak soon again.
0: Yeah, likewise. Definitely. Uh, take care. We'll talk soon.